Hello, I'm Beatrice Valerie Nero, and you're listening to This is the Voice of the Prophet. I have walked in the office of the Prophet since God revealed the anointing he has placed on my life for close to 40 years. This podcast is a new territory that he has assigned me that I pray will be done as God ministers. The purpose of this podcast is to share the Word of God in a prophetic way under the anointing of the Holy Ghost as he ministers and speaks to my spirit as to when he would have me to speak to the listeners, you, his sons and daughters. It's also purpose to invoke open and honest conversation on the things that many people, especially Christians, don't want to talk about, which is racism in the body of Christ. I pray that God will use this podcast to enable us as his sons and daughters to talk about the elephant in the room that for too many years, pastors, teachers, and leaders have tried to sweep under the rug. You can help and support this podcast by telling your friends, families, co-workers, church members, and everyone you know about This is the Voice of the Prophet and how easy it is to tune in through any podcast server through this title. You can also help and support this ministry through your love and prayers. You can reach me with questions and comments by email at amyeagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at C-H-A-R-T-E-R dot net. And finally, you can always reach me at my website at thevoiceoftheprophet.strikingly.com. And remember, if for some reason the podcast doesn't come through or to hear previous episodes, you can always reach This is the Voice of the Prophet on every and any podcast server. Thank you and God bless you. Now let's get into the word that God has for us for this week. Hello everyone. This week's episode is a day late not only because of the holiday, but I have visitors here with me from Oregon, my youngest son and my beautiful daughter-in-law, along with the fur babies are here for just a few days. I am having a blast. I can never thank our father enough for the relationship that he has given me with all of my children, biological, through covenant marriages, as well as covenant connections with other sons and daughters. But let's get on into this week's episode entitled WWJD as opposed to WDJD. That title again is WWJD as opposed to WDJD. How many of us remember the old expression that was thrown around years ago among Christians? It was, what would Jesus do? There were seminars, bracelets, t-shirts, and all the rest bearing the letters WWJD, reminding Christians to ask themselves what would Jesus do in relations to the decisions and actions they were making and taking in life. According to Wikipedia, yes, that's where I had to go in order to get the information on WWJD, that acronym became popular particularly in the United States 
in the late 1800s after the widely read book by Charles Sheldon entitled, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? The phrase had a resurgence in the U.S. and elsewhere in the 1990s as a personal model for adherents of Christianity who used the phrase as a reminder of their belief in a moral imperative to act in a manner that would demonstrate the love of Jesus through the actions of the adherents. That last sentence in itself should bring about a myriad of thoughts and convictions to the minds and hearts of believers. Charles Spurgeon, a well-known evangelical Baptist preacher in London, used the phrase, what would Jesus do, in quotation marks several times in a sermon he gave on, G on June 28, 1891. In his sermon, he cites the source of the phrase as a book written in Latin by Thomas A. Kempis between 1418 and 1427, the Metatio Christi interpreted the limitation of Christ. So we see that the phrase or acronym of WWJD goes back much further than the 1990s. There was a movie and other books written based on these letters, mainly for Christians. But the question should still stand and reverberate in the hearts and spirits of Christians everywhere in their thoughts and convictions. What would Jesus do? If that question was in our hearts and spirit, and if we were not just to assume what he would do, but seek his face and ask him how many, many actions of hatred and sin would never be taken. My question to us today as believers and Christians is not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? We can only answer the question of what would he do now by knowing what he did then. In the matter of racism, what did Jesus do? He did away with it and let it be known once and for all that he was not racist, prejudiced, or a separatist in any way. How? Jesus went to the woman at the well. In John 4, 4 through 9, it reads, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In the EXB, that's the expanded edition of the Bible, the fourth verse reads, But on the way he had to go through Samaria, the country of Samaria, the central region occupied by a people this life because they were only partly Jewish. Here is the first instance where Jesus directly deals with the issue of not only racism and prejudice, but also sexism and removes them all in one fell swoop. He did not only speak with a much hated race by the Jews, a race that seen and experienced racism and prejudice, but here he's offering them what he has to give. And the very Samaritan that he's speaking to is also a woman. 
Racism is further obliterated in Galatians 3.28, where it says, There is now no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is not male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is true, and we know that God's word, all of God's word is true. Why is there so much racism in the body of Christ? We should do what Jesus would do according to what he did over and over. Jesus lived a life where there was no racism or prejudice and his disciples did the same. Even when he made the comment to the woman concerning the children's bread, he gave her what she asked for, healed her daughter and commended her for her faith in him. In destroying more barriers of racism, Paul rebuked Peter when Peter didn't want to be associated with the Gentiles he was teaching when other Jews were present. Galatians 2, 11 through 13 reads, But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I protested and opposed him to his face concerning his conduct there, for he was blamable and stood condemned. For up to the time that certain persons came from James, he ate his meal with the Gentile converts. But when the men from Jerusalem arrived, he withdrew and held himself aloof from the Gentiles and ate separately for fear of those of the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, along with him, also concealed their true convictions and acted insincere, insincerely, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy, their example of insincerity and pretense. How clearly is racism and hypocrisy seen in this instance, but being condemned in the Bible? As I have stated in the past, the only reason God allows us to remember our sins is so that we don't commit them again. God allowed the hypocrisy of Peter to be rebuked by Paul in, of all places, the Bible, so that we would not commit the same sin of racism and prejudice again. Here in Galatians, it's so obvious that God is speaking directly concerning as well as against the sin of racism. Peter calls Paul and all of the disciples with Paul hypocrites. He said they were acting in fear of the circumcision party. How many whites refuse to let go of racism and prejudice that they know is wrong in fear of being ostracized by other whites? How many church members, family members, coworkers, and others will listen to and allow hatred to be spewed of other races in their presence and yet refuse to speak up for fear of those around them? This is exactly what's done within the walls of the church on Sunday mornings and during Bible studies. There's no problem with hugging, laughing, and talking with people of other races while in service. I mean, after all, that's the Christian thing to do on a Sunday morning. Just don't run into them while out shopping or anywhere away from the church setting. Hypocrites. These are sanctimonious, as Jesus called the Pharisees, white sepulchers and deceivers. I don't think that there's much worse that a person can become other than a hypocrite. I decided to look at that word, the word hypocrite, a little more in depth. 
To my dismay, I found more synonyms referring to Christianity than not. Backslider, pietist, plaster saint, holy willy, creeping Jesus, and Pharisee among them. When thinking of hypocrites, it seems that there are more words in regards to Christians that define it than anything else. It would seem that hypocrisy is seen and expected more among Christians than any other group. And then we wonder why people are leaving Christianity for other beliefs and religions. The most obvious reasons is that because we don't walk what we talk. We don't believe what we preach. Christians are the first to want to tell others about the love of Christ and then not show that love. We want others to get saved and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We tell them to repent for their sin and live a life of sinlessness. And yet Christians are the very ones that not only show hatred, but show hatred and racism to the very ones they led to Christ. Christians are the ones who harbor racism, prejudice, and hatred toward those that they fellowship on a weekly basis. We're the ones to win others to Christ and then show them how we really feel towards them with separatism. We're the ones that refuse to see others as our equals and the same as we are. There were more Christians who were a part of the insurrection at the Capitol in January, breaking in, tearing apart and destroying property that was not theirs to destroy than any other group represented there. It was majority Christians who were the ones espousing hatred and wanting to murder while yelling to hang Pence and kill Pelosi. In spite of what they may say, hatred and murder was the foundation of their main intent and purpose for breaking into the Capitol. These were Christians wanting to be representatives of Christians everywhere while totally destroying Christian values and the very body of Christ. A hypocrite is someone who professes one lifestyle before others while in actuality living an entirely different lifestyle in secret. But the reality of who they are eventually comes to the surface, allowing them to be seen for who and what they are. If I were a gambling woman, and no, I'm not, but if I were, I'd be willing to bet that Derek Chauvin calls himself a Christian. This is not to say that he's a hypocrite. No, because Christians sin and take terrible actions, much to our dismay. We will take actions that affect ourselves as well as others that we will regret for the rest of our lives. I, like a lot of other Christians, white and black, love to publicly express my love for Christ. But for those who sit in church Sunday after Sunday, posting their scriptures day after day on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else they can on social media, and know within their hearts and spirits that they literally hate other races, they're hypocrites. Now, of course, these whitewashed Christians will say they don't hate anyone. They'll say that they don't hate black, brown, or Asian people, but they don't want any one of them living next door to them, or they don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, in that case, why not? 
it will simply be because of what they've heard or read concerning the other race as a whole. It's not because they know them personally. In a recent episode of this podcast, I asked whether white people have any true black friends and vice versa. I specifically said, not just people of a different race that you work with or people that you go to church with or work out at the gym with, but people that you sit and talk with in areas other than your jobs or church, or maybe when you see them in the supermarket. We're definitely not talking about Facebook friends or who you're tweeting, chatting, or Snapchatting with. Do you have someone that you can say that you meet for lunch, call just to chat, go shopping with, have a girl's day or a buddy night with, who is of another race or ethnicity? Can you truly say that you have a friend of another race or at least someone that you can sit and talk with openly with not just about church, but racism as well without the relationship being torn apart because of preconceived thoughts and ideas? Now, remember I said talk with openly in order to discuss the issue of racism. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything, but at least talk about it. But even to talk about it is something most whites don't want to do. In fact, they vehemently fight against discussing the matter of slavery in this country on extreme levels. Nicole Hannah-Jones initiated something called the 1619 Project. I'm sure most of us have heard of it. However, the 1619 Project is a long-form journalism project developed by Ms. Hannah-Jones, which aims to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of Black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. This project has definitely brought about criticism, debate, and absolute denial from other historians who accuse the project of putting ideology before historical understanding. I heard someone say that teaching this would make white children feel guilty. Go figure. There are some that have requested factual corrections, but yet Ms. Hannah Jones has been awarded the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for commentary for the 1619 Project, and it has been widely acclaimed and praised by many, many other historians. In spite of the criticisms of a few, a very few historians, the New York Times published the project. There are now school districts who are implementing the 1619 Project into their school curriculums. This is now being fought by Mitch McConnell and other Republicans in the House and Senate. It amazes me as to how important, accurate, and factual the history of this nation has suddenly become when for hundreds of years, not only the accomplishments of slaves and Blacks have been denied, but the very fact of cruelty and savagery of slavery has been lied about. Discrimination, racism, Semitism, 
its bigotry and prejudice has been advanced by the denial and distortion of so many, many historical facts throughout the history of this nation. And now they've become so concerned about the accuracy of what has occurred over hundreds of years. Hypocrites, redlining, the Tulsa massacre, the flooding of black towns and districts, school segregation, lynchings and murders, don't even begin to scratch the surface of the true history of this country. And now they want accuracy according to what has previously been written? All that would amount to is saying that the previous historical lie is now the true historical lie and the present historical lie that will continue to be told throughout our history of lies. But what would Jesus do? What would Jesus have said if he were here now or if this would have occurred during his lifetime? What would he have said? I'll tell you what he said in Luke 12, 1 through 3. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. So much throughout the ages of this nation has been concealed and tried to be kept hidden. So many lies have been told in secret meetings in order to maintain white supremacy. But yet, Jesus said that everything concealed would be exposed and that the things spoken in all those secret meetings would be proclaimed for all to hear. What did Jesus do? He called them hypocrites. Over and over throughout the four Gospels, Jesus called the leaders, the teachers, the Pharisees, those that were supposed to be the closest to God, a bunch of hypocrites. What can I say or do other than what Jesus said and did? I call the leaders, pastors, preachers, prophets, teachers, and Christians of today who persist in their ideology of racism, those who persist in refusing to accept that there is racism in the body of Christ, those who persist in holding on to the racist ways in their churches and from their pulpits, pulpits I call them exactly who and what they are, hypocrites. I pray that this episode has been enlightening to each of you, and I pray that you will share it with others, encouraging your church members, families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers to listen to the podcast, This is the Voice of the Prophet, on any podcast server. Until next Monday, remember that I am praying for each and every person who listens, asking our Father's blessings and favor upon you. God bless each and every one of you, and thank you so much for listening.